2: Is that? That's
0: the second time it's gone on. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Fans are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cop.
3: Boom, 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 the Boom, 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 yellow card. Ah, it's actually a problem,
1: sir. I'll have to ask you to mind your
3: language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't draw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you showing man?
1: Hello, and you're very welcome to the Irish Times second captain's football podcast. Kieran Murphy here, sitting in for uh, the On Holidays on McDevitt. Hello there, Ken.
2: Hiya, Kieran. How you doing?
1: Um, not too bad. Now, uh, this has been the week where uh, Stephen Gerrard has been described in many places as one of the few one-club men left in the game. Yeah. And another man who was a possibility for that role, Leo Messi, might have decided this week that, yeah, the era of the one club man's more of a Nat Loftus kind of. experience. He's
2: not really a, a one club man though, is he? Well, wasn't I mean, he at Newell's Old Boys?
1: He didn't play a senior game for Newell's Old Boys though, did he? Ah, uh,
2: well, I think, um, I think they're claiming him, are they? I think Stephen Gerrard has uh, been at Liverpool since the age of eight. Uh, his the very first club that he ever joined, mm. uh, or you know. Club that wasn't the sort of local community schoolboy club, uh, whereas Lionel Messi did play a couple of years for New Zealand Boys' Youth. So uh, I'm afraid he's not a one club. Well, man.
1: I'm I'm going to say anyone who has only played senior competitive football for one club is a one club man.
2: He should. He yeah. I mean, it's he's more of a one club man than a lot of a uh, lot of other players. It has to be said.
1: But uh, it has actually been a pretty extraordinary week this week in Barcelona. Uh, capped off by this devastating news that we brought to you in our first show today, um, relating to Lionel Messi following Chelsea Football Club on Instagram. I mean, it's it is pretty, it is pretty huge news.
2: Things have got pretty heated, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, can we remember a move on the social network creating this kind of trauma? I mean, I do recall there was a Daily Mail, uh headline along the lines of uh, Russell Brand unfollows Katy Perry. Perry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember that, yeah. Uh, so, I' vaguely analogous, I suppose I'm not entirely sure, but beyond that, I just can't think of anything else that would have caused such a such a seismic reaction
2: yeah uh, I mean you know, Messi's been having a few problems with uh, Barcelona I mean it seems his his mood is increasingly sour uh uh it's been this way ever since i mean for some reason, the Messi seems to have a real sense of uh his indignation uh, that he's been charged with tax evasion mm. and the club didn't do anything about it. You're kind of thinking, you know, it's actually your responsibility to... And,
1: uh, pay the taxes for to, the... To,
2: to ensure your tax on That is your responsibility. I mean, he may be a, a sort of a football you think savant. that problem? Well, no. that seems to have been the, the big thing at the beginning of this period of deterioration of, of relations mm. between them, you know? Um... I mean, Messi obviously maintains. Look, I don't. It's not like you think I sit around doing my taxes all day. You think I'm sitting there poring over accounts, from Microsoft Excel, stapling receipts together to, you know? I'm no. I concentrate on my game.
1: Yeah, but we do kind of think that you'd pay someone to do that.
2: Exactly. Well, I mean, his father seems to be uh, seems to be the man who who was taking more of an interest in that. I mean, I'm sure that you know, little Messi probably. Doesn't really have much of an idea of what's going on in, in his massive financial empire. However, that doesn't take away the fact that as a as an adult, uh, he is he is the one responsible. Mm. You know, he's uh, he's the guy who's who ultimately the responsibility falls on. So I don't quite understand why he kind of seems to think that Barcelona should have done more for him on this. Again, it's one of those things where people tend to be rather secretive about the details involved in. I don't know where he gets that sense of injustice from, but you know, there's been a few different things. I mean, his, he, I suppose he's the he's the kind of he he was always the kid at Barcelona. You know, he was like the the kid they gave the ball to Balta. and now he's actually the main guy, and he's kind of setting the tone in a way that he wasn't before. And um,
1: he doesn't I, seem to like that a whole lot.
2: No, I, well, I just, he's just he's not really a very sociable guy, you know, I mean, there are, the, you know, you've got your presidential types, your Vincent companies, mm. you know, you've got your, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other, other captain figures, like, you know, is John, Tony <laughs> Adams, looking to bring John Terry into anything, Tony Adams, you know, you've got you've guys who sort of set a certain tone, mm. uh, and then you've got, Leon Messi. I don't think he's really interested in doing that kind of thing, but, but you know, as the most important player there, as by far the, the biggest influence, the the, the most powerful person at the club. You know, everybody's sort of tiptoeing around him. And uh, I don't know if he necessarily makes it easy for everyone.
1: Yeah, okay, well, let's get into Ken Early's report on sport. Yeah, Ken, two seasons ago, it would have been pretty unthinkable that Lionel Messi would play for any other club. How likely do you think that is now?
2: I don't, I mean, the the problem with anybody else signing Messi, is not just that there are certain clubs that could sign him. I would say the clubs that can sign him are... Um, Chelsea his, uh, who, his his friend on Instagram um, uh, Chelsea obviously I don't think Real Madrid are going to sign Lionel Messi that's not going to happen um, Manchester City Paris Saint-Germain Manchester United and Bayern Munich these are the only teams that could theoretically afford to, to sign Lionel Messi and it would be problematic for any of them given the
1: financial fair play I wouldn't yeah that's yeah. The,
2: that's the problem that all of them have uh, the amount of money Barcelona would demand is so colossal I mean his buyout clause is 250 million euros wouldn't you know realistically 250 million euros I don't know I mean he's he's gonna be 28 in June um, he's the best player in the world sure well he certainly used to be the best player in the world um, if
1: you take it from uh, Gareth Bale mm. 250 million probably isn't that far away
2: is Lionel Messi two and a half times as good as Gareth Bale? Yes, he probably, he probably is. is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, Garpale scores twenty goals in, I think, twenty twelve. Lionel Messi seventy goals. So, yeah,
1: um, it's three and a half times. That's three. <laughs> <laughs> so they're short selling themselves on this uh, close bio bio clause. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's it, it's hard to know, but I I, abs- I absolutely think that it's possible. Certainly, I think it's possible because, um, you know. Politically speaking, maybe he doesn't Maybe he doesn't like the board anymore. Maybe there's some of the board who aren't so convinced about him anymore. Maybe some of them are looking at the money um, that they could get and thinking, well, we could remodel the team quite substantively. Anyway, we're going to talk to Sid Lowe about this a little bit later on. Uh, he knows better than we do. Uh, so rather than pontificate anymore, mm. we should talk about the next uh, thing, Lee Jenner, which is... Chet Evans. Yeah,
1: because we were discussing this on uh, the show that, that uh, we put out a little earlier on, and even since we put out that show, uh, things have moved on, moved on quite a bit.
2: Mm. So this is this is just a, an incredible story which just continues to develop. Now, the thing that's changed since we recorded our last program is that Chad Evans, uh, through the PFA, has actually released a statement. Now, basically, what happened today was that everybody uh, got up today expecting to hear that Oldham them had uh, confirmed the signing of Chet Evans. In fact, Oldham uh, appeared to have pulled out of this deal, although that, even that is not yet confirmed, but it looks very much as though Oldham have pulled out of the deal um, on the basis that uh, you know there was pressure on board members, pressure on sponsors. Essentially, uh, it got too hot for them to handle, and so they, they decided uh, they weren't going to go along with it. Now, the PFA have put out a statement which says... Uh, the PFA wishes to clarify its position regarding Chad Evans following recent media reports. Um our previous statements are set up below and our support for Chad remains the same. We've had some discussions with Oldham Athletic regarding the interest they expressed in signing Chad. Although we feel it's important to make clear that, contrary to what's been reported, we were not, quote, driving, unquote, any deal. As we understand it, the club and player were in discussions. Contact was then made with the PFA as matters progressed, given the particular circumstances of the situation. We were simply being asked to publicly reiterate our support for the club in signing him. Despite being ready to offer this from the outset, we were asked to delay whilst discussions between the club and player continued. And we were disappointed to see, over the course of this week, comments being made which we feel mischaracterise our limited role in this matter. So what they're saying is essentially people were kind of suggesting the PFA really pushing hard for to get Chet Evans into all of them, you know, kind of, and they're saying that's not it. He, I mean, they, what, they, what they their statement continues. The PFA's position remains the same as we've expressed previously that any club who decides to sign him would receive our support. We full, fully recognize this is a delicate and emotive case. We entirely respect that there are opposing views. However, we always felt it was important that Chad made some further comment regarding his current situation, and on that basis, he has asked that we include his comments below. So what we have here is a sort of long-awaited statement from Chad Evans
1: which is almost word for word what uh, Malky Clerkin said he must put out as a matter of extreme urgency on our, uh, <laughs> our first rule.
2: Well, here you go. This is, what, this is what Chet Evans says. I'm grateful for the support of the PFA in helping me try to return to football and continue my career. Upon legal advice, I was told not to discuss the events in question. This silence has been misinterpreted as arrogance, and I would like to state that this could not be further from the truth. I do remain limited at present by what I can say. Due to the ongoing referral to the Criminal Cases Review Commission, and whilst I continue to maintain my innocence, I wish to make it clear that I wholeheartedly apologize for the effects that night in Rill has had on many people, not least the woman concerned. Finally, it has been claimed that those using social media in an abusive and vindictive way towards this woman are supporters of mine. I wish to make it clear that these people are not my supporters, and I condemn their actions entirely and will continue to do so end in uh, end statement so that's that's Chad Evans Um he has in that statement done a couple of things I mean there 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 are a couple of things that I mean Malachi I think made as we as we mentioned Maliki earlier on made two of the main points which are number one this guy has expressed no contrition apology remorse for anything that happened I mean he continues to to maintain his innocence um, uh, despite the fact that he's been convicted and then refused the right to appeal, uh, he continues to maintain his innocence. But he, there was nothing to prevent him um, from, you know, expressing some concern or regret uh, for uh, for yeah, what had actually happened, for the yeah. suffering of of the victim. You can
1: apologise without admitting uh, guilt in a legal sense?
2: Yeah, um, and that's what he's effectively done there. In a in a in a way, but you know, does anyone? the The problem with it is, in the sense that you know, an apology that comes in these circumstances has to be. I mean, you're kind of looking at it going. Well, you kind of had to say that there. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, um, what else were you really going to do uh, when you make an an apology? You know, costs nothing to give, really. And if you make a if you make it a condition of rehabilitation that there must also be a sort of public apology, you know, this, The apology is immediately words demeaned. are cheap. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, exactly um you know i mean maybe this isn't a genuine apology i mean he's still kind of blaming others i mean he's blaming his his legal advice you know what i mean he's saying uh, it's their fault effectively that i haven't said anything about this or that i you know the implication is that if he hadn't been advised not to discuss the events in question this apology would have been forthcoming sooner and that he does feel this way that's the implication so yeah. he's, he's still kind of blaming someone else he's still not sort of really accepting responsibility um, even for his own failure to apologize um, you know uh, he's saying he's all, he how hard to apologizes but you know if that's what people wanted I suppose they now have the apology the other thing that he's done is condemned the people um, who have been you know these these kind of people and like I mean you if you type the words Chad Evans into Twitter and look at what comes up you will see that quite a large proportion of the stuff about it is pretty depressing stuff I mean you've got all kinds of um you've got all kinds of people you can see from you know, you see someone called at Nationalist underscore UK with a sort of Union Jack avatar, you kind of know without, before you read anything that they write, where they're coming from uh, and you know, to see him then saying oh, you know, feminists and liberals are conspiring against Chad Evans you know, this sort of stuff And um, you see people expressing all kinds of uh, opinions about, you know, women have lied about rape before, you know, all this kind of stuff there's, there's all of this kind of people coming out crying from under the stones a
1: streak of uh, uh, misogyny running through uh, every, <laughs> nearly every one of the tweets exactly
2: yeah. and, and Evans has become this kind of lightning rod that, 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 that kind of caused celebre for all these uh, people uh, and one of the problems that um, that people who didn't want to see him being offered another job uh, in football had was that he had done nothing to stop this he had, he had not at any point um, spoken out to say please stop um Abusing, you know, they're abusing the woman or really uh, naming the woman who's not supposed to be known for legal reasons, naming her online so she's had to change her name multiple times. As Malachi mentioned earlier, she didn't even get to go home for Christmas, you know, so the effects in her life have been disastrous. And Evans has done nothing to, to, to uh, has, has done nothing apparently to, to rein this in. Now he's, again, there's a couple of lines which, which appear to fulfill that criterion of, of redemption. You know, is this what is it? Is this a box-ticking exercise or, or what? I mean, I note that UK uh, the website which is funded by his uh, fiance's father, um, is still online, so that hasn't been pulled down. Uh, I mean, you go to that website and you can see it's obviously a website arguing Ched Evans is falsely, was falsely convicted of, of rape. You know. Um, and it's got, uh, it's, you know, this, this website is actually being, is, is under investigation for possible contempt of court. I mean, you can look at a CCTV video of, of uh, Evans's friend uh, and the woman in question arriving at the Premier Inn in Rill. Uh, judge for yourself, is what it's saying. Judge, the judge for yourself being, judge for yourself whether this woman is too drunk to give consent. You know, is she stumbling around so much that she looks too drunk or is she walking around? In such a way as to suggest that maybe she wasn't really that drunk. That's what this website yeah. is saying. Okay.
1: Chet right. Evans isn't running a million miles from that. Yeah, that's
2: website. it's still there. So, you know what I mean. That's that's really got to go. I mean, as to whether or not, kind of formally carrying out all of the things that he was being told he had to do after he's being told, you know, this is this is unacceptable that he hasn't do any of that he hasn't done any of these things. If that then somehow cleans him up to the extent that people are prepared to say, okay, we're happy to see this guy join another club. It remains to be seen.
1: Yeah, the question we asked in the first show is still very relevant. The future that he has in English football is, yeah... It looks, uh, it, there's, it, there it are looks like, quite a few hurdles to jump uh, Before he gets the club, I think It, um, looks, it looks really grim <laughs> Yeah, but interesting uh, Moving on from the Chet Evans story mm. anyway, The uh, Victor Valdez to Manchester United story Is uh, quite interesting Not so much for Victor Valdez But from David De Gea's point of view, I would have thought
2: mm. Well, it's Manchester United making sure They're not going to get caught short um, I mean, maybe It simply is that Louis Van Gaal has no faith In Anders Lindergaard uh, Linnegard is going to be allowed to leave the club now, uh, as apparently so. Ben Amos is third goalkeeper, but um, Victor Valdez is a very good player to have as a substitute goalkeeper. Um, from his own perspective, it seems a puzzling move to make, because he's a guy who's, uh, you know, getting towards, he's not necessarily at the end of his career. I mean, Victor Valdez is not, oh, what is he, 32 years old? 30, thirty-three years old. His
1: goalkeeper standards. He still has. He's thirty-four 30, or five.
2: He's he's thirty-three. He's thirty-three next week. Um. So you're talking about a guy who could feasibly play for five more years. Yeah. Very feasibly. Yeah. I mean, Manchester United's previous goalkeeper was what forty-one. But what, what age was he? He was, he was certainly over forty. Yeah. Founders are. Um. An exceptional. Uh, an exceptional case. Granted, but there's nothing to stop a goalkeeper playing certainly till 36 or 37. So you're talking about three, four seasons for Victor Valdes. Um, why would he want to spend those seasons so sitting on the bench, the bench?
1: Manchester United, yeah. I
2: mean, even even for a great club like Manchester United, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that a high level player like Victor Valdez would be satisfied doing. You know, at this stage of his career. So unless he believes that there's a substantial chance of either David de Gea getting injured or not being there for some other reason Mm. Um, I mean it it seems as though Real Madrid have Real Madrid are pretty uh, confident that they can get David De Gea that he is going to be there um, he's going to be their long-term replacement for Iker Casillas Um, and it looks as though Manchester United are are making the making the move to cover themselves for that I mean there's also reports that when Hal is looking at Tim Krul at Newcastle as another possibility um, but Valdez seems to be the one who's, who's definitely coming in. I mean, you do wonder what um, what they make of this at uh, Liverpool, who obviously have a goalkeeper who's been throwing them in all season and who everybody appears to have lost confidence in. Um, and you would have thought that they uh, would be in the position of being able to offer Victor Valdez immediate first team. Yeah. Immediate first team football. In fact, not just immediate first team football, but you now are in the position of having to rescue yeah, uh, our, our our team, our defense—it's it's all down to you, Victor. Uh, that, that that's certainly plenty of responsibility.
1: Yeah, well, Valdez was training with Manchester United for mm. the la- the previous three months, uh, recovering from his cruciate injury, which I suppose obviously put them in uh, pole position to 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 get him. But I mean, even that, he- even him training at Manchester United seems kind of strange when you have a guy who is maybe after Courtois, the form goalkeeper in the world at the moment.
2: He's, he's before Courtois, the form, form goalkeeper in the world at the moment. He's the best goalkeeper in the world uh, on, the, on the basis of the last two months. Yeah. Changes all the time. <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, if you had to choose between two, the two of them, you might choose Courtois purely because of his freakish physique as well. I mean, De Gea is, has a freakish physique in certain ways, but more for his extreme agility rather than his size. You know, yeah. Courtois has got both. Um, but, you know, in the case of... It does look... To me, it, it looks as though Real Madrid think they're going to get that guy. Uh, obviously, Manchester United will have to hang on to him. But as we spoke about with John Bruin, I think, a couple of weeks ago, um, his agent is George Mendes. Um, Real Madrid have a very close relationship with him. Manchester United have developed a close relationship with him lately. But what other things might they have to do in order to persuade George Mendes to persuade David De Gea that Manchester was the place he should be spending the next five years? Would they have to sign Falcao? Would David De Gea only want to join... Manchester United, if he got to play
1: with players of the quality of Falcao, uh, well, maybe so, Yeah, maybe so. I mean, there are, another Manchester United player was making uh, kind of a strange story from earlier this week, Marcus uh, Rojo. <laughs> well, the on, thing uh, about the story, on Instagram again,
2: yes, yeah, another Instagram. I mean, the thing about the story is that um, the thing that I that sort of draws my attention to the story is the line, and um, in the newspaper report that I read. The post sparked fury among some people on the social media website. (laughs) The post in question was a picture of Pablo Escobar, the famous Colombian drug lord of the 1980s and early 90s, uh, his career ultimately terminating uh, in death.
1: Rather bloody fashion, yes.
2: Uh, And he posted a picture of of Pablo in the glory years um, over the slogan... Only those who went hungry with me and stood by me when I went through a bad time at some point in life will eat at my table. So, uh, I suppose that's one in the eye for everyone who, you know, all the teachers who told me told him he'd never amount to nothing. <laughs> all the people who called the police on him when he was just trying to make some money to feed his daughter. That kind of thing. Um, you know, it's one in the eye for those guys. Uh, and obviously, if you were on... Marcos Rocco's side, back in the uh, back in the bad old days, uh, I guess your reward is probably winging its way. Of course, the fact that he uses the image of Escobar is somewhat puzzling. I mean, surely, surely there were lots of other people he could have used rather than a you know mass murdering mm. uh, drug lord.
1: If he just, if he just went out to Twitter, he could find any number of motivational slogans with Muhammad Ali's photo attached.
2: But why? Number one, the puzzling popularity of just this type of post. Why do people?
1: There are entire the Twitter accounts set up to, you know, at motivational quotes, sports quotes. I mean, I, I just have no idea. They
2: Sport, sportsmen are particularly bad for I mean, Neymar's Twitter account is full of this kind of nonsense with a, with a, a big religious twist as well because Neymar is quite uh, religious. Uh, Daniel Sturridge as well. Actually, Daniel Sturridge also uh, has, has has a distinctive Christian tinge to his motivational, uh, his, uh, motivational Instagrams. Uh, I I really th- I mean I suppose you know a lot of these are we're talking about young guys who've played a lot of ball maybe this is new to them uh, I'm sure and uh, like when Joey Barton sort of started reading uh, you know Nietzsche yeah he's like well wow, you know it's made God is dead you know and everyone was kind of like well yeah the book was published in the 19th century though <laughs> at the same time these these ideas aren't necessarily going to surprise everyone else as much as They've clearly surprised you. Well, it's
1: the first time I've heard them, so I'm going to tell you all about it.
2: Yeah, you know, there, there could be uh, there could be maybe an element to that. But also that other that other line about sparked fury among some people. Does it really? I mean, who's, who does it spark fury among? I mean, this is a, you know, why? What is this sort of strange new type of fury that is set off in people when they see pictures that they disagree with? Yeah. It's like a kind of an increasingly pervasive problem. Um, Marcus Rocco I don't know I, 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 don't, I don't imagine he is going to be uh, punished for this
1: no I, 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 yeah, I know that United have refused to comment I mean I, I, I did see one person saying I wonder what uh, uh, his teammate Colombian Radamel Falcao will, will make of this yeah. sort of someone was tweeting very sniffily yeah uh, I mean uh, I don't know it's, but yeah. it's, the,
2: it's the one thing that the Americans found when they sort of Decided to take an active interest in uh, in stopping the export of cocaine from Colombia was that it was very difficult to tell what the Colombians thought about Pablo Escobar. Uh, you couldn't necessarily uh, second guess what any given individual thought about Pablo Escobar in Colombia. In some parts of Colombia, he was wildly popular. Uh, in other parts, uh, possibly the parts uh, where the, you know uh, among the sort of social networks which included people he'd had murdered, maybe not so much. Um what Ramon Falcao thinks of it, I, I really couldn't possibly say. Um, but uh, the other stories that are today, I mean... Uh, yeah,
1: Wilfred uh, Bonnie is a big one. This
2: is a kind of a nice story, actually. The story of Wilfred Bonney making it all the way to the top. Um, a guy who uh, apparently was at trial, on, went uh, on a trial to Liverpool, uh, didn't do very well, uh, was rejected. This is a few years back. Um, went off to, I think, the Czech Republic and sort of, uh, yeah, he was he was at Sparta Prague for a while, uh, scored a few goals, kind of got up to speed with European football, um, went to Vitesse in Holland, did really well, so, you know, was scoring two every three, um, two every three games there, impressed. Michael Loudrup, anyway, got the move to the Premier League, continued to score, I think scored more goals in 2014 than any other player. I think that has to do a lot with the fact that Suarez and Sturridge only played half of Third year,
1: missed uh, miss quite a bit of football in that time as well, but you know
2: Wilford Bonnie, he was there every week. Uh, he wasn't missing games uh, through injury. He wasn't uh, leaving Swansea. Well, not until now. He's made it all the way to Manchester City. According to his agent, there are only small things to uh, only small things to sort out. Things about money, stuff like that. Uh, but money not really a big problem for Manchester City. So it looks as though Bonnie is going to be the.
1: Um, uh, the next mm-hmm. centre forward, there, the replacement for Alvaro and the Yeah, the uh, the other transfer news from this week, obviously, is uh, Stevie G that we were mm. talking about on Monday, and uh, he's been speaking to the LA Galaxy, or at least the LA Times, is that right?
2: Well, um, I was looking actually at what he was saying to the Liverpool Echo. I mean, he's he's just given the usual sort of platitudes about you know about his move, about how uh, they've told me about their winning mentality and you know all this kind of stuff. Just you know, obviously expect any player joining a new club to say. Um, it's more the thing that he told the Liverpool. I mean, he did mention he, he did an interview in Liverpool uh, TV uh, where he said we can forget about Steve, we can stop talking about Steven Gerrard for a while. Probably it was the same day that he did the interview with the Liverpool Echo, in fairness, but it comes out later, so it gives the impression that he's once again talking about old Steven Gerrard. But this time, what he's saying is uh, that he would have signed for them if they had offered him a contract.
1: Signed for Liverpool, yeah. he would have
2: signed. He would have signed a contract with them um, if they'd offered him one. Uh, back in the summer or towards the beginning of the season, and that essentially that was all that was in his head. Once he, he retired from England, he was just going to play for Liverpool. He's going to extend his career with them. Then he discovered they weren't going to
1: offer mm. him a contract. He's kind so of dropping Liverpool in here.
2: He is. He's. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily suggesting he's. Uh, he's done it as, as in a kind of a Machiavellian way. You know, I don't really see what he necessarily even has to gain from that. Um, but he is very much putting the onus on the fact that, that you know, if. Any, if anyone here is upset about me leaving, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on that because then maybe I would not get the result that I that I want to see. But if anyone here is upset and would have liked to see me continue, know this: I would have continued, but these guys didn't want me.
1: But you know, we we move on.
2: The the best thing uh, for a lot of Liverpool fans about the rest of the season is probably going to be watching Brendan Rodgers being forced to eulogise Steven Gerrard in every single post match interview. Uh, between now and the end of the season, every single time we'll have a game that they don't lose. It's going to be another magnificent performance from Steven Gerrard. You must be absolutely gutted that you didn't yeah. offer him. <laughs> you, well, you know, when we look back, Brendan, don't you wish you'd offered him a contract? You know, and uh, and and watching Brendan Rogers sort of having to, in that even way, sort of talk his way out of that in every yeah. single uh, Jeff Shrees encounter. Uh,
1: one more quick story. Uh,
2: just why Jack Chesney. Uh, uh, Magic Chesney is his dad, also a goalkeeper, and uh, he, he's he's basically gone out to bat for Junior. Um, people are criticising Magic Chesney, saying he's got he's clueless, he's got no idea where he is in pitch, he uh, he re- his his positioning is is awful. He he panics and lashes out at things and makes all kinds of silly mistakes. And really, how long how long is this going to be allowed to continue? Uh, Magic Chesney says, look at the Arsenal defence. How these guys are playing is a disaster, but for some reason nobody pays any attention to it. <laughs> he says, Lauren Koscielny should immediately have run to protect Wojciech and Per Mertesacker should have stood in goal. Unfortunately, they didn't do that and gave him zero support. In that situation, Mertesacker showed the agility of a rhinoceros. I mean, harsh. Mertes- a rhinoceros is not the animal I would compare Murderzacker to.
1: No, I mean, well, the obvious one is...
2: Giraffe. giraffe really. It's clearly the, the one. And neither is the giraffe particularly agile. But Martisakar is just is simply uh, doesn't
1: it have, doesn't it have a kind of ungainly speed though?
2: There's a sort of a, a lanky grace to a giraffe, which you could say Per Martisaker sometimes shares when he's when he's um you know uh, heading up that pitch for a corner, something like that. Yeah. Uh that long-legged stride. But he's the he's simply the wrong shape to be compared to our rhinoceros Uh Wojciech continues his father, is often paying for it. He really cares. He needs someone who will critically analyse every game with him but also remain positive. Someone should support him. But the coaching staff at Arsenal are not doing that. Meanwhile, the entire defence this season is an embarrassment. So, uh, I'm sure that... I'm sure...
1: (laughs) It's a helpful input there from uh, from Daddy Chesney there.
2: He'll be delighted with that. (laughs) Um, That his dad has come in. But his, his dad also suggested that there was a story that went around that Chesney had been caught by Wenger smoking in the shower. Now, if you remember... Chesney's weird reaction to conceding the second goal uh, in that game uh, the other week. Uh, this was the disastrous one where he kicked it straight to Dusan Tadic. Tadic kicked it into the goal, and Chesney was there. He sort of rolled, rolled to the base of the post, and immediately like whipped the water bottle out of the back of the net and started sucking on it hungrily, like a, you yeah. know, like a hungry baby, yeah, Glugging on this on this water bottle. It was weird. I mean, everybody was looking at it going. When is that? When is that around? That's a strange reaction. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I don't know. Does, does it fit in with the idea that Wojciech Chesney is a secret smoker in the showers? Is there an element of oral fixation going on? Was he substituting Was he substituting in that the... Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, the, the water bottle was standing in for the cigarette that he desperately, desperately craved at that moment, at that but, moment but couldn't have as it was mm. in the middle of a game. <laughs> um, I don't know. But his dad says... Uh, is uh, what the British papers wrote about my son smoking under the shower uh, after the Southampton game. This is box.
1: So. He should be at least glad that his dad tidied that up, but uh, that is the end of Ken Ernie's report on sport. I that and Steve Here we go. Stop it! That's one of those things. Stop it! How many players can do this? Death man can never die. 34 One of those things, death man can never die. Only the actors who play him.
0: Bobby, second, no, he did. No, he did. No, Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know
1: what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh, yeah. He's got more of a tandem, maybe. Now, before we get to Sid Lowe to talk a little bit about Leo Messi and what's been going on at Barcelona this week, the Chet Evans news keeps rolling in again.
2: Yeah, even since we were just talking there, um, it's emerged. Or it's being reported by the Oldham Chronicle that Simon Corney, the chairman of Oldham, has quit. Um, uh, so the story in the Oldham Chronicle says, uh, you know, so Evans is on the verge of being unveilable, that besieged by national media, pulled out. It's understood Corney's decision to quit centres on personal threats to family members as the story has prompted polarised views on a national scale. Barry Owens' board position is also in doubt. Um... Uh, David Kahn uh, who mentioned earlier uh, says the Greater Manchester Police have received no um, complaints from Oldham about anything that's been uh, anything frankly, that's been right, said yeah. any threats that have that have been put through to them um, so it's just frankly bizarre I mean it turns out that Oldham uh, they're expecting to talk the media are expecting to hear from their chief executive Neil joy uh, quite shortly they're kind of massing outside there so if that uh, if we hear what he says before uh, this is posted, we'll let you know.
1: Okay, so we're joined the line now by Sid Lowe. Sid, we were talking earlier about Leo Messi following Chelsea on Instagram this week, which is surely the biggest example of a social media story garnering uh, traditional media headlines. This is becoming uh, pretty postmodern, isn't it? <laughs> funny, isn't it?
0: He, By the way, he, um, he followed. Uh, who did he follow now? He followed an R&B singer. I can't remember who it was now, so um, so forgive me for that. But I, I assume that means he's bringing an album
2: out as well. Yeah, I mean, he. Th- this is this has become a, a headline essentially because Lionel Messi missed training the day yeah. after uh, not uh, starting the match against Real Sociedad, not for the first time that this had actually happened. Uh, and the excuse that Barcelona gave was gastroenteritis.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think. I think the thing to do, would kind of have to try and put it all in its context because in a way, I mean, we're laughing at the idea that, that somehow Leo Messi following Chelsea on Instagram is big news. But I think in a way, an insignificant small piece of detail like that, precisely because it's treated as a big piece of uh, of information, precisely because it is treated as, as big news, almost becomes big news. Now, again, we're sounding a bit postmodern here, but I think I think it can be read as, as Messi... Kind of making a point without really making it, giving himself a, a way of backing out from having made made it, because the context, as you say, is is him not starting the game against Real Sociedad, him then missing a training session the next day, which is the one training session of the year, which is open to the public. It's it's kind of a big deal in terms of getting fans into the into the crowd to watch them, kids in particular, because it's it's King's Night, Twelfth uh, Night in in Spain, which is effectively Spain's kind of Christmas Day. Um, and then the, the the claim was that he had gastroenteritis, which with unfortunate timing came three days after an interview with Xavi Hernandez with a newspaper and in fact with a TV channel in which he said, and it was nothing to do with Messi, but the timing was unfortunate, he said, gastroenteritis is normally the excuse behind which other things hide, um, like players who don't want to turn up and so on. Now, of course, we won't ever know, well, unless Messi says so for sure, whether he really was feeling pretty ill and, and on the toilet all day. But, but I think, I think the, the context is significant and can be read as a power play. As you rightly say, it's not the first time this has happened in terms of Messi missing the first game of the new year. In fact, with Pep Guardiola, he missed all four of them. Uh, it happened again with Tata Martino and it didn't happen with um, Tito Villanova, the only one of the three managers it didn't happen with. But I think the context this time is different because it's a, it's a harder game, a away something where Barcelona hadn't won for five years in a context in which Barcelona weren't playing well and Messi was seen, really, I think, quite rightly as well, by the way, as the only thing that Barcelona had, that, that whether they played well depended on whether he played well. And of course, what's really emerged in the aftermath of this is his. Quite obviously, seriously deteriorated relationship with with Luis Enrique.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the next thing. I mean, Luis Enrique almost looks like a dead duck already. I mean, this is uh, it's amazing. I mean, it's happened even faster than with um, Tata Martino. Uh, Enrique does a press conference uh, the other day. Um, do you talk to Messi? He says, I, "I speak to all of them, of course, but some more than others." Mm. Uh, I don't know if I've had individual meetings with them. Uh, does Messi want to say, well, I'm not the right person to answer that? These don't sound like very positive, uh, positive answers to, to some probing questions.
0: Absolutely. Um, and, of course, uh, again, to, to to talk about that context, the context with Messi's um, attitude towards Barcelona is not just Luis Enrique, although that's the detonating fact here, but his uh, his relationship with the board has been fraught for a long time, and we've talked about this before, uh, that very famous point when he said of of uh, Javier Faust, one of the directors. Senor Faust is someone who doesn't know anything about football. And Messi saying that publicly is genuinely a big deal. Now it's it's gone even further. Now his his fallout is with the coach, so the football side of the club, which gave stability to an institutional crisis, has is no longer propping the if you like the institution up. Which is why we've now ended up with with elections. But you're right. What Luis Enrique said, I don't think suggests any real control situation. And. What had happened after Messi missed that training session we had two days of some really quite um big stories about Messi confronting Luis Enrique, about a big argument with the with the club psychologist, about um the relationship between the two, they hardly talk about Luis Enrique supposedly wanting to open up disciplinary proceedings against Messi for having missed that training session. And you go into a press conference in which Luis Enrique, one of the other stories, by the way, was Luis Enrique has been given an ultimatum by the club. You go into a press conference in which Luis Enrique says, I haven't been given an ultimatum. But then, having, uh, having denied that, proceeds to not deny any of the other stories now he did say a couple of times some of the stories aren't true and there's so many of them that I'm not going to confirm or deny but if they really are untrue and there's been so many of them and so damaging to Barcelona if they're not true you come out and deny them or at least it seems that way to me and and certainly the interpretation of a lot of fans has been well if he hasn't denied these then then actually what he really did I think was underline and confirm that his relationship with Messi is difficult that that there have been times when when it hasn't worked and then he's I think he confirmed it with the very last thing he said, which is there are are some times when I've been permissive, other times when I've been demanding. And, of course, I don't treat all the players all the same, just as I don't treat my children all the same. But there are some rules that are applicable to absolutely everyone, and that is a principle. And, of course, one way of interpreting that is to say it's a principle. He stands by, and it's a principle. Of course, he's at risk of falling by as well.
2: I mean, mean, you've also reported that Barcelona have moved their election forward to this summer, now they've they've obviously had a problem. I mean, as you've been saying at the kind of institutional level for a while now. Not everybody liked uh, Sandro Rosselli when he took over from Juan Laporta and uh, things kind of declined from there. Do you think that holding these, uh, holding these new elections a little bit earlier than they have to gives them a chance of, of, of uh, kind of getting back a legitimate board? Uh, not that the current board is necessarily illegitimate, it might be the wrong word, but a, a board that people have confidence in that might bring them back a bit of stability uh, sooner rather than later.
0: One of the problems, Ken, in a way is that when we talk about they I suppose we need to decide whether we're talking about Barcelona as an institution in, in almost faceless terms, or they as in the current board. Um, Barcelona may well, I think, in the long run benefit from this of course because as you say, they'll get a board that, that the fan feel has been voted in, whereas this board is the if you like the inheritors of Sandra Rousseau's election victory after Rousseau resigned and therefore doesn't really have a popular mandate. So in that sense, yes, they will gain stability, and uh, and the president said yesterday that he was doing this to to bring the tension down. From the point of view of the current board, basically they've been forced into a corner on this because, of course, they wanted to hang on for another year. They've now decided to go to elections, which right now it's impossible to imagine they could win. Um, They're also going to be, by the way, very strange elections because, of course, we're used to Barcelona elections. Being at least to some extent all about the 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 promises they make about the players they're going to sign. Now this time, no one can make those promises.
2: Yeah, well, maybe the promise, uh, maybe the promise is is about to keep. Is to keep this guy. I think that's exactly it, right? Yeah. Uh, So I mean, the the most important thing, I suppose, is a board that pleases Lionel Messi. I mean, is Lionel Messi? This this sounds blasphemous to say, but is he maybe getting a little bit high maintenance? I mean, he's giving, you know, sort of having rows with his coaches and. Um, dismissing the board, uh, you know, when he feels like it. (laughs) How long do you think they're going to continue to sort of... Is there a point at which Messi becomes more of a problem than he's worth?
0: Uh, I mean, I personally would say no, there isn't a point at that because I think Messi is... is so good and so important to Barcelona and so symbolic for them, I think that a departure would do more damage to the club than, than him staying, even if he was a really, really problematic. I also think that much of those moments in which there's been tension and, and, and a kind of a sense that Messi can be difficult, they're, they're kind of passing peaks, uh, you know, it's, it's a fit of peak rather than a constant problem.
2: Uh, and they it's, are becoming I, a bit more well, frequent though, aren't they? It,
0: you know what? it's a bit of me that thinks I'm not convinced that they are becoming more frequent. I think what's happening is we're finding out about them more. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that that is possibly possibly more the case. Um, that, that some players have tension for them, but in addressing them, I think there's there's always some tension. I think that that Messi's status, of course, has shifted. And one one thing where actually you say they become more frequent, I think one thing is is significant. Um, I think Messi's status change has changed over the last eighteen months. For a couple of really key reasons. Um, now, obviously, the first of them, uh, it's a bit more than 18 months, is the departure of Pep Guardiola. But to some extent, Guardiola had, had kind of, I wouldn't say become submissive to Messi, but had built the team around Messi, so had had, had increased Messi's status, but had controlling factors, not least his own charisma, his own significance. Um, there's an element of that with Tito Villanova, with Tata Martino, perhaps it starts to slide. But another key thing, what's happened over the last 18 months, two years? Well, Victor Valdez has gone, Carlos Puyol is gone, Chavionandos is, is not the Chavionandos he was, and I think that means, in terms of authority, perhaps has a little less. And, and I'm starting now, and I must admit, I hadn't necessarily seen this before, I'm starting now to see the departure of Carlos Puyol is really significant. But There, there are, perhaps the same figures in terms of people to guide Messi or to pull Messi into line or to or to lay down certain boundaries. Now, all of this makes out Messi sound like a real problem. And I'm not convinced he is a real problem. He can be difficult, yes, but I'm not convinced he's a real problem. And also with the talent and everything, he's a chief of Barcelona. There's a bit of me that thinks that, that indulging him actually probably is the right thing
2: to do. Yeah. I mean, pro- I mean everyone who's played with him is unanimous that this is by far the best player they've ever seen yeah. I and mean, not, not just a question of he's, yeah he's the best I've played with he's by far I mean uh, there's a story I think in Rio Ferdinand's book Thierry Henry talking about him in literally odd terms yeah saying, absolutely. You know, he, he, absolutely He running through everybody in training you know just ridiculous kind of things that he would do And that's,
0: that's the other thing is Ken by the way that, that, that's kind of a it feels to me anyway that's kind of a two way street Right, and 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 I'll explain what I mean by that. There, there's a there's a moment. It's quite a nice little bit of footage when when Barcelona concede the first goal against Real Sociedad at the weekend. Of course, it's a Jordi Alba goal. It's 90 seconds in, and Messi is sitting on the bench with Neymar, and Neymar turns around and says, "Go and warm up," and they start giggling. <laughs> but, 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 but that but that is that is kind of the point. Is that if we complain that Messi's getting too powerful, but then what you've got is a team that's struggling and goes, "Oh, what do we do? Uh, Leo, come and rescue us." Yeah, and of course, if you constantly say we need you for us to be good, and we're going to get you to rescue us. You can't then say, but by the way, I don't want you to do this. Because to some extent, you, you know, you can't ask him to be everything, to, 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 to be the guy that salvages everything, the guy that leads the team, the guy that runs everything, the guy that the game goes through, the guy that gives you an identity, which actually, to be honest, under and Ricky, I think they haven't got under Pep Guardiola they did have, which is another key factor for that whole kind of context, if you like, of the relationship. You then almost have to accept that Messi wants to do things his way, don't you? When, yeah. what you're saying is, we've got no other way except your way.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's good to see that himself and Neymar, at least, are are kind of having a bit of banter on the bench because mm. on the field, they just look like complete strangers. I mean, they can't play together well, at curiously,
0: all. Well, curiously, curiously at the start of the season, they, they, they combined really quite well and it was starting to fit into place. And, and, and actually, the arrival of, of, of Luis Suarez has changed that, which I find completely baffling. It's, it's, it's
2: just bizarre. I mean, I was watching watching the Real Sociedad game, and the, you know, eventually they're all on the field at the same time, and it's amazing to see how disconnected uh, mm. they they are. These are you know three of the best strikers in the world, uh, and they look like they can't play together at all. I mean, and I mean, I think about it. It's not really the first time that Messi hasn't quite managed to mesh with another striker. I mean, there was Zlatan before them, um, Zlatan. Neymar Suarez, this is quite, quite a list of yeah. players he's putting together that he has no chemistry with.
0: Yeah, and, and it's, it's curious as well because I mean, one of the reasons why I'm so baffled by it is that earlier in the season, Messi and Neymar were combining really, really well. And Balfour had, had set up this system where it was Neymar and Munir uh, uh, up front and Messi just behind. Messi is a number 10. And, and the reason I say I'm so baffled is because at that stage, it looked so much like Munir was keeping the place warm for Luis Suarez he was making the kind of runs that Suarez would make but Messi was developing into this number 10 who was going to have two great forwards in front of him and in other words Suarez would come along and slot straight into that position but when Suarez came back what appeared to be a mechanism for Suarez to move into then changed Messi went back up front or Messi went to the right on occasions and I'm not entirely sure was happy with that and so it felt like they were all working towards something That then when that final piece arrived they said actually you know what we don't like this mechanism and, and threw it out and and, and it is bizarre. When you talk about, by the way, the, the strikers that Messi hasn't always fitted with, I suppose one thing, in, uh, certainly in Messi's defence, that, that's worth pointing out is that he, he didn't always fit with Zlatan. For the first half of the season, and she thought it worked very well. Um, and and the person who was problematic in that relationship, even though I suppose Messi in a silent way perhaps was problematic in that he wanted to play a particular star, was Zlatan. And Zlatan's book, where he tries very hard, to paint Barthan as a bad guy actually makes him look like a, a, a bit of a pillock, to be honest.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the other question though also has to be I mean, Juventus had this tradition for a long time, uh, when Gianni Agnelli was still supposedly calling the shots of, Yeah, you know, all play, you know, we've got some players who have been great players for us, but once they get to a certain point, it's better to sell them while you can still get quite a lot of money for them. And you know, they sold uh, Zinedine Zidane to, to Real Madrid. Uh, when he was, I think, uh, maybe a year older than Lionel Messi is now. Uh, I mean, he's 28 in June. He earns, what, 30 million euros a year something insane along those lines. And they would get a world record fee by far for him. So at what point do they say, well, maybe selling him might, might be the uh, thing to do at this point? It's been well, great, I, I, but now it's, it's time to time to move on.
0: I, I think Messi, Messi will know. That, um, that somewhere lurking in the back of the mind of of Sandra Orsay when he came in as president with the signing of Neymar was that, you know, this guy's going to replace me. And, and actually this guy being, being um, Neymar replacing him is also a, a power play from the president to try and reinforce... His identity on the club, and actually the president doesn't much believe in me. And, and even when those things are all, only very vague ideas, people latch onto them and feel offended by them, feel put out by them. And I think that's a key part of the reason why Messi's relationship with with the current board, which effectively is a kind of a hangover. If you like from from the board, that's why that starts. And I think in the back of their minds was, yeah, let's sell Messi for stupid amounts of money and and bring in Neymar, who's going to be the next best player in the world. Now, whether or not he will, we'll see. Um, and and then we can move on. But there's there's a really big problem with that as an idea. Now is is of course you sell Messi now, who can you buy? It's a year. It's a year until Barcelona can buy anyone.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so possibly... Uh, possibly and also saying, what
0: you do is, of course, you if you were to... Let's <laughs> say for argument's sake, like you sell Messi for his buyout clause, which is €250 million. Euros. You've got €250 million, euros, but the very definition of having to... By definition, having €250 million creates an inflation in the market in which... In which suddenly that 50 million euro player, or the two of them that, that you're going to get for 100 million, might now cost you all 250 million. And it certainly didn't work when they dri- did it with Figo. They thought they were buying loads of great players to replace Figo, and it went horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah,
2: it's so often the way when you sell a really great player and try to replace them with that. So, sort of one last thing to though, do, I don't know if you saw a piece a couple of days ago by uh, Rory Smith, uh, where he was talking about the fact: okay, the Monday is going to be the world player of the year. It's going to be yeah. Messi, Ronaldo, and obviously Manuel Neuer, who. Who probably isn't going to win? Uh, Roy Smith's piece was about the fact that um, you know a couple of years ago everyone really was cheering for Lionel Messi in these things, and like he was talking about the way in which Ronaldo has kind of won people over. Um, It seemed to be almost a a two-part thing, both of of, of Ronaldo sort of uh, increasing his own reputation. Um, and, and maybe Messi's declining a little bit. I mean, uh, I, I wondered what you made of that. Do you think, do you, do you, do you see, do you see a point there? Do you think that? yeah, uh, I do.
0: I, I think, I think there's an element of that. I think bear in mind that we're talking about, um, the last couple of years in which for the first time, I mean, you know, there will be, there will be people who disagree with me, but I think for the first time in the last couple of years, um, you could say that Ronaldo is is better than Messi. I think before that, you know, it's true that Ronaldo was brilliant, but I think Messi was just on a different kind of level. Um, So so you've got the, the, the talent side of it or the achievement side of it, which I think is very significant. I think you have seen a slight deterioration of Messi's image, partly because... He hasn't played as well as before. But but the idea that Messi has become rubbish, I also find completely laughable, by the way. Mm. So the guy who got to the World Cup final, and, and all right, maybe in the semi in the final, wasn't, wasn't amazing, but certainly was the key player in them getting as far as the quarters or, or, or reaching the semis, um, who last year statistically was still incredible in a team that was collapsing, who I think has played them very, very well this year in a poor team. And then that almost gives more credibility to, to what he's done, but then has had the, 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 the tax issues has had this slight sense of, of decline and perhaps a little bit of tension. And at the same time, we've had Cristiano Ronaldo perform with a consistency, which is at times mind-blowing. Um, and look, there are lots of arguments about his, you know, his contribution beyond the goals and so on, but the consistency has been been absolutely astonishing. He's won the European Cup with Real Madrid, which I think makes, it, makes a huge, huge difference to the way that people see him. And actually, you know, I think one of the other reasons why people kind of softened on Ronaldo a little bit was precisely because he won the Ballon d'Or last year and because of the way he then reacted to it and um, the, the the response the the crying having his son there there was there was there was a sense then that you sort of thought and you know, even if you don't like this guy kind of good on him this really means something to him and and I, I think people have softened on, on on Ronaldo a little bit and maybe hardened a bit on Messi I, I do I do see I do see some um a kernel of truth in that yeah
2: so uh, from all that I take it that you want to see Ronaldo make it 4-3 on Monday
0: uh, you know I'm I'm in an awkward position with this because I, I sort of agree with Platini that it always feels to me that in a World Cup year it sort of feels like it should be a player but then I recognise that look, this is not an individual award and who's been the best individual over the last year you know what? Actually, in the key m- months for Real Madrid, you could argue Angel Di Maria, and Sergio Ramos were even more important than Ronaldo. But look, I mean, he's been so good over last year, except in the World Cup, that I think he's he's the worthy winner.
2: That's brilliant, sir. So thanks, Wayne.
1: My pleasure. You'd have to say, Ken, that line from Neymar uh, on the bench last week was <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs>
2: I think Neymar's probably probably quite a quite a well. You were saying
1: he really annoys you, though, like three years. Well, I mean,
2: it's because he because he's a good time Charlie. You know, he's he's like. Uh, He's, I mean, the problem with Neymar is that I, th- I expect from uh, a great player like that a sort of monkish dedication. Mm. But he's he doesn't really have a monkish type of Outlook. personality. No, uh, he wants to do it all. Yeah, and I feel sorry for the lad uh, because I don't believe that he. I don't believe that he can do it all. Yeah. And uh, but you know, I suppose maybe he figures he can do enough. You know, if he's Neymar, play for Brazil and Barcelona, scoring. Some girls. Uh and also having a whale of a the time, then
1: he's probably What's the problem? Burning you know, the candle at both ends. Where did it all go is, wrong, Neymar? Yeah, in as responsible a fashion as you can burn yeah. the candle at both ends. Yeah. And I mean, hey, listen, I mean he might he's what you'd call a character. Does <laughs> he have is he a good character? Who knows?
2: Yeah, does he have character? I don't know, no. but is he character? I most oh, certainly.
1: I think so. So this season began so badly for so many teams that Roberto Martinez uh Everton team got a bit of an easy ride, I think. You know, Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Spurs, all terrible at the start of this season. But Everton have actually continued their jokish start right past the halfway stage uh of the season. They're on course, Ken. I've crunched the numbers. Uh you'd be happy to hear. Yeah. Uh they're on course to finish the season with thirty nine point nine points.
2: Really? Uh, as with, compared to what, sixty eight or something? Crazy last season. Yeah. Or um, is it over seventy points last season?
1: Yeah, I mean it it is. Pretty strange, because if you look at the Everton team personnel wise it might be the strongest they've had in twenty years yeah. um they have a number of really uh, exceptionally good players uh and quite a few of them Irish as well, which uh, we might get to in a, in a few minutes nobody's but
2: pretty, nobody's really playing well though i mean yeah. howard Howard is playing badly um distan not playing very well. Uh, you know Baines I don't think is is in the kind of form that he was in a couple of seasons ago McCarthy's had injury problems Lukaku hasn't played well so they've had even though um, you know they've apparently got a good team on paper the team isn't really performing
1: Yeah well Tony Barrett of the London Times joins us now uh, Romelu Lukaku might have saved his manager's season on Monday night Tony uh, but how happy will Martinez be about what Lukaku said afterwards uh, he was talking about how the players had begged the manager whether they could go more direct to Lukaku with longer hit passes just a more direct style of play uh, which is something completely contrary to what Martinez has always said is his style of football No, it's
3: a, it was interesting as soon as Lukaku said that because I think everyone uh, Realised that the birth of with Martinez, is a manager, who's always said he wouldn't sacrifice his principles. He's he's got one way of playing that he believes, in and he would never deviate from that. Uh, he's also on record and said he doesn't want to score uh, direct goals. That's not what he's about. He doesn't want to play direct football, and he, and he believes that if you play the kind of uh, possession-based game that he he favours, that in the long run that will get you best. He's also a supercatty who said that. Uh, Mar雷斯 agreed to go more tired left. I think everyone thought that's that's a big, interesting change. Uh, and, and this morning, Mar雷斯 didn't actually dispute that. Uh, but what he did say was that this wasn't uh, a fundamental change. It was, uh, and, and nor was it uh, any kind of players' default or players' uh, dictating the way that he should play. It was just a, a case of a natural evolution, and Everton being a, in a situation where they needed to get the, the best out of themselves. However, that is at the minute so. He 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 didn't reject it, but he also sort he stopped short for saying that. Yet yeah, what McAfee says is true, uh, but now that it's it. it's clear that there has been some kind of conversations, uh, whether they're the normal kind of conversations uh, that you get at every club between managing and players, only those involved and no partners suggested that it what it wasn't out of the ordinary and this was part of the normal everyday life for Everton. But I think. I think those of us who caught the club think that maybe it's a little bit
2: more than that. Martinez's problem at the moment maybe is that his position just isn't that strong. Any manager who's only won one out of the last ten matches um is gonna come under some kind of pressure. Now I'm sure you know, Bill Kenwright has shown that he's he's one of the mo- more patient chairmen around. I'm sure Roberto Martinez is not worried about his position. But I mean I know the fans at Goodison Park uh, you know, it seemed as though, although not that many of them turned up for the FA Cup uh, game, I don't think there's too many people there who have a problem with direct uh, football per se. I mean, Everton have, have played some great direct football in the past. Um, how do you think Martinez's image is with them at the moment? Are some of them maybe questioning a little bit the the, the new approach, the sort of dogmatic passing approach? No,
3: certainly. I mean, that's... That, that, most uh, telling indication of all of that, that the sports were starting. I, I think turn on them would be too strong. Most we'll certainly, question would be about that. When Everton played Queens Park Rangers, recently and beat them 3-1, and, and there was agitation when they were 3-1 up, and there was a feeling within the ground that, although well, Everton will win and we're, were going to win this game, that the way they were playing was not the way they want to see Everton play. They want Everton to, to be more dynamic going forward. They don't want them to rest on it, they don't want them to just pass the ball endlessly with, without any end product. And, and that was, it, it, I mean, it wasn't involved, that, that would again be overstated, but it was a sign that supporters want more from Everton. They want Everton to, to be more combative, they want Everton to be more confrontational, they want Everton to be more direct. And these are all qualities that, that Everton had under David Moyes, which obviously went out of fast a little bit too in in his last couple of years there. So, and it's, it's difficult. I, I always think that the big thing fans want is results, I and mean, it's news. It doesn't matter how it comes about. The problem is that Everton aren't getting results, and and so Martin is going to be questioned on that. And you look at them now. You look at the way they're playing, and, and they don't seem to be have any great method, methodology it's neither The Moyes way, nor the, the Mar- Martinez way, the sort sort of fall between two stools, and and I don't know whether Martinez can manage like that. I think Martin does have. So obviously he can play the way he wants. I'm not sure that he can compromise. So it's going to be interesting to see going forward what happens because I think the Evertonians would say, like Everton to play a different
2: way than we have me." One strange thing that happened at Everton last month was their uh, head of medicine, a guy called Daniel Donachy, uh, resigned. He'd been at Everton for 10 years and had a pretty good reputation. Um It's notable that they've had a lot of injury problems this season, much more than last season. Um to what extent was there was there a problem between Donachie and, and Martinez, who apparently himself is a uh, is a qualified physio, maybe he has his own ideas about uh, about the medical treatment of players? Does that did that become a, a bone of contention there?
3: Well, well everyone at Everton said that that wasn't a bone of contention that that the designation was not in view with a tension between Danny Donachie and the manager. I think everyone else looking from the outside looking in. Uh, sees it differently. I think there has been tension, and I, I don't think there was any uh, surprise about that. Evan have had 20 hamstring injuries since the paper Flamanders became manager. And a lot of those injuries are the, the peace in the players coming back from one trouble and getting another. So that inevitably caused a tension in, in the medical department. And ironically, resignation didn't come as a surprise from that point of view. And I, I think that would, would have disappointed some of the senior players because, and I know that. Uh, quite a few of them think a lot of Danny Donaghy, the the players who have been at Everton the longest. Uh, probably likes of Leighton Baines, Phil Jagielka, like, you know, they would have liked him to stick around. But uh, for some reason, and it still is an unknown reason, because Danny Donaghy hasn't explained why he why left Everton. Uh, they've gone a separate way, and Everton are now looking into the reasons why they're getting so many injuries and, and they'll do that without him so it's going to be interesting to see however move forward for me whether this brings an end to the kind of injury problems that we've been having but uh, in, the, in the short term it, it's on go because Le- Leighton Danes has just become the latest victim he the 20th i victims of Martin's Australian so there's no sign of a change
2: OK Tony thanks a million for uh, explaining all that to us today the hairdryer is, is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a various blast of temper. The hairdryer with which uh,
3: Alex Ferguson was famously associated, he threw a hairdryer, I think a David Beckham, I that he threw at David Beckham, also, a hairdryer at David Beckham.
2: Uh, in the, is that right? No, no, no,
1: no, 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 One thing that we mentioned before the piece, but not to Tony there, is the impact for all of the Irish players at Everton, all of whom represented by, like, a good margin, Ireland's best chances of having uh, some players in the Champions League next year. Uh, and, you know, when you looked at that Everton team, looked at what they have done last year, you're thinking, well, they have a reasonably good chance of pushing on. and Well, maybe not finishing fourth, but certainly being in the running for fourth.
2: Mm, um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they you know, I suppose really you, you got to then uh, David Moyes, poor old David Moyes was getting him from every single angle last year. Not only was he useless at Manchester United, but um, Mart-
1: Martinez was making him look like a fool. Yeah,
2: Everton, liberated from the dead weight of David Moyes uh, suddenly uh, are flying up the table, um, which was always a little bit unfair. I mean, at the time Martinez, um, it seemed and I remember we were talking about this last year the, the point uh, being that he'd he maybe had done something a little bit um, a little bit along the lines of uh, what uh, Arsene Wenger did when he arrived at Arsenal, arriving to find this defense already constructed by the previous kind of belt and braces manager and uh, constructing an attacking team to go along with it. And the thing is that with Wenger, that defense lasted at least four years from the point at which he took over, whereas in Martinez's case, it seems to already be Coming apart of the team. So uh, now the question is whether Martinez himself is capable of reconstructing that. I mean, Wenger was able to do it. He brought in uh, Sol Campbell and Lauren and guys like this, Ash- brought through Ashley Cole. He was able to create another great defense. Martinez, though, the problem is that this team, this Everton team, is beginning to remind people a little bit of Wigan, and Wigan were never able to sort it out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that's really the question.
1: One thing that Wigan did do was finish seasons very strongly. Um, so you would think that, and Everton have historically in the last ten years finished, played much better in the second half of the season than in the first. So you would think that they'd be able to turn it around to some degree. But as it stands, they're like whatever it is, four points above the relegation zone, which is pretty scary.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I don't—they're not going to get relegated. They've too many good players. They're too good to go down. But they really are. Um there are much worse teams than Everton in the league. But it's still a, a big company. I mean the question is then, you know, how long could does Seamus Coleman say, Yeah, I wanna spend the next three or four years, probably the best years of my career uh, at a team like Everton, you know, do the good players at Everton start to think? Does Zukaku start to think, you know what? I'm not really looking so good in a team that wants to just play the ball around in midfield all the time. Maybe I need to go somewhere where, you know, they're actually going to give me a few balls on the box. You know, it's, you know, when the team is playing badly, suddenly everybody is looking out for their own interest, And that's the danger that Everton have to guard against. One thing I did mention that uh, the Oldham Chief Executive Neil Joy was going to speak. And if we heard what he said, uh, what we can say is that the story earlier from the Oldham Chronicle about the Oldham chairman quitting is untrue. He hasn't quit, but Chad Evans is definitely not going to sign for Oldham. So that's all we can say about that today.
1: Okay, well, that's pretty much it for this show. Remember, we have a show out earlier today with US Murph and Maliki Clerkin on that ever developing Chad Evans situation. So you can follow us on, on Twitter at Second Captains or on Facebook.com forward slash Second Captains. Uh, email us here on Captains at IrishTimes.com or why not just check out our website, which is, you guessed it, secondcaptains.com. Thank you, again.
2: Thank you very much as well, Kieran.
1: Okay, guys. Catch you Monday.
2: It's the second time it's done off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those 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 boys.